This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Welcome to the show, Mike Griffith here. I'm glad you could be with me tonight as we start the Ingles On The Beat show. Really exciting show tonight. Got a taped interview. I had to do it earlier in the day. This has been a crazy day. For beat writers for Georgia and Alabama, there's been in-person press conference with Kirby Smart over at Butts Mirror. I was over there earlier uh, on a Zoom conference with Coach Nick Saban, John Mechie. Uh, we also had teleconferences with players. So all sorts of stuff coming out, all sorts of excitement starting to build towards the SEC championship game. The classic David versus Goliath and Georgia's the Goliath, right? Try that one on for size. It's been 92 games since Alabama was an underdog. 92 games. And does anyone know what it dates back to? The 2015 game against Georgia. Georgia was favored. And then before that, you had to go back 72 games. So Alabama, not accustomed to being the underdog. You can bet that Nick Saban is going to play that up. Georgia was a four-point favorite going into Saturday's action. And then Georgia blew out uh, Georgia Tech, which I don't think surprised anybody. And I was at the Alabama-Auburn game uh, to try to kind of get a head start on our Alabama coverage. Is Clearly, there's two sides to this game. Georgia fans wanting to be as informed as possible about the Crimson Tide. Most Georgia fans watched that game. What a knockdown drag out. And, and I covered Alabama and Auburn. In the 1990s, as a beat writer for both schools, first Auburn a couple years, Alabama a few years. And so I understand what that game's all about. So I wasn't surprised. I really wasn't. And I'm not taking anything big away from it. I I don't think you can do the comparative scores thing here. Alabama-Auburn is a true rivalry in the sense of the word. It's a game that's talked about 365 because there's nothing else in Alabama but Alabama and Auburn. They don't have a Hawks and Falcons and United and Braves. And, you know, no, it's Alabama and it's Auburn and you're one or the other and you wear it 365 and it really transcends into the players. And you saw that it was a classic. And I, you know, I applaud both teams. Auburn with a very aggressive scheme was able to keep Alabama under wraps. You realize that was the first time in 52 games that Alabama had been shut out in the first half of a game. The last time against Georgia in 2017 in the first half of the CFP championship game. So it's been a long time, a lot of long times. You know, we're going to have Michael Casagrande on. He is the lead Alabama writer for AL.com. We're going to have him on the second half of the show. I taped an interview with Michael earlier. And, uh, you know, Michael's been covering this team for a long time. And this is a different Alabama team, right? They lost... 10 guys to the NFL draft, six guys in the first round, and then two more in the second round. So eight players went like the first, what, 64 pick. I mean, that's ridiculous. And they had to reload, and the offensive line has struggled. Uh, Let me get some news for you before we get too deep into this. Dan Lanning, congratulations to Dan Lanning. He's one of five finalists for the Broyles Award, which goes to the best assistant coach in football. Kirby Smart won this award in 2009 at Alabama. Uh, the other finalists, Baylor Offensive Coordinator Jeff Grimes, Oklahoma State D.C. Jim Knowles, Michigan O.C. Josh Gaddis, and Wake Forest O.C. Warren Riguro. Now, personally, and I'm, I'm a huge Dan Lanning fan, right? I like Dan Lanning as a person. I like what he's done with the defense. But I think he got the wrong Georgia assistant in there this year. I think Todd Munkin should have been on that list because, listen, Dan has done a great job, but he's got Kirby Smart over there. He's got Schumann over there. He's got Will Muschamp over there. And he's got about five or six guys that are going to get drafted in the first two rounds of the NFL draft in his front seven. Munkin has had to juggle. Munkin has had to play multiple quarterbacks. Munkins had receivers in and out all year, running backs in and out all year, different game plans. I think Todd Munkin should have been one of the five finalists for the award. Maybe Dan should have been there too, but 
I would have given Munkin my vote over Dan, even though I think a lot of Dan Lanning to the point that I wonder if Dan Lanning is going to cash in on one of these head coaching jobs. I, I, you, you saw that Florida hired Billy Napier from Louisiana. That was expected. Uh, we saw that Dave Aranda re-upped at Baylor. That surprised me a little bit. Mel Tucker re-upped at Michigan State. Uh, LSU is still vacant. We're waiting on that. That's going to be really interesting to see who that is. And maybe Dan doesn't get a lead job like that, but when somebody moves to take the LSU job, right, or Billy Napier, like I don't know who the Louisiana coach, does Dan Lanning take a job like that? I, I don't know. Uh, I think he had an opportunity to be the Memphis coach. I think that was below him. I think he's going to do what Kirby did and really be selective because I think he likes the situation. Uh, but but to me, this is really key stuff with Dan Lanning. And congratulations to Dan for being one of the five finalists. I want to talk about the injury update story that I did earlier today. Well, first of all, let me back up. Let's do Alabama, Brian Robinson, the number three running back in the SEC, Brian Robinson. Uh, it could be out. He, he suffered a pulled muscle in his lower body, lower leg, could be an hamstring on that 37-yard carry that he had early in the third quarter. Uh, I mean, this is a huge blow to Alabama. Uh, it, it's not that, that Trey is, is not as accomplished. I mean, I mean but Brian Robinson's a 225-pound battering ram. I, I think he was going to cause trouble. I, I just don't know if I have the same conviction in his backup. Alabama's only got one scholarship running back. How did Nick Saban get himself in this mess? Well, he's got a couple of injuries. He's got another five-star hand played. But this is a real problem for Alabama because Saban, like Kirby, or I should say Kirby like Saban, you know, these guys are intent on balancing things out in their offense. And that's going to be hard for Alabama to have a run game. They're going to have to get creative with this. So that's going to be something to look for. Uh, Brian Robinson probably out for this game. And big break for Georgia that you don't have to face Alabama's best running back and one of the best running backs in the league behind a line that quite frankly hasn't performed well. I mean, they've given up 36 sacks. I mean, that's 12th in the sec. There's only a couple teams that have done worse. LSU being one of them just slips my mind who the other one is Tennessee, I believe. So this is one of the most porous offensive lines. And this is with a mobile quarterback in Bryce Young. So we saw Auburn get to Bryce seven times. You know that that front seven at George has got to be licking their chops, but you know, Bryce can scramble and make plays. Mechie and James Williams, I mean, these are guys with great speed that can get loose in the secondary. Going to be really um, important for the Georgia pass rush to get to Bryce Young and contain him, trap him, maintain that, that lane discipline, right? Everybody just goes straight up the field, though, because if you get out of your lane, you give Bryce a cutback angle. So that lane discipline is going to be big. And this is where Georgia's veteran defensive line uh, really pays dividends. Now, we talked to Kirby today about the Georgia injuries. Jamari Salyer uh, re-aggravated his foot injury last week. We reported that. Uh, Kirby saying he was Jamari was going to try to go today. But if Jamari doesn't go at left tackle, he's confident in Broderick Jones. I mean, what a luxury. Your best offensive lineman may be out. And Kirby's saying, yeah, I'm not worried about that. You know, Broad Broderick Jones is a guy that's, that's played on the road at Auburn. He's played on the road at Tennessee. He can handle that. And, and Broderick Jones is a great pass rusher. The question for Broderick uh, has never been the pass rush. It's always been the power at the point of the attack in the run game. So that's a maybe. You know, then you got Christopher Smith. I mean, Kirby sounded a little bit more vague on this one. You know, he said that Christopher was back running again and hoped he'd practice. That, that didn't sound real promising to me. Um, again, we won't know until game time on these guys. Certainly Kirby doesn't want to tell Alabama. Christopher Smith is a significant uh, injury. Now, now Jamari is the better player than Christopher, but because of Georgia's great depth on the offensive line and their lack of depth in the secondary, um, you know, the, the Smith injury is really, really, really big. So that's something to keep an eye on. Karis Jackson uh, had the rib injury against Georgia Tech, said it was too painful to go back in. You know, it had to be bad because Karras is a really tough kid. Um, I think Kirby expects him back out there. Um, and Kendall Milton, who Kirby thought could play against Georgia Tech, looked pretty good, held him out. So that's really a confidence thing for Kendall Milton. So I wonder if we'll see Kendall Milton in this game. Does he need more practices, more bowl work? Maybe he's back for the playoff. I don't know. Uh, but Kendall is a weapon when he's 100%. Uh, obviously, we, we've seen James Cook, the, the mongoose, as Kirby called him, uh, with his coaches earlier. 
Uh, we've seen James Cook uh, have a pretty good finish to the season. Kenny McIntosh with the longest run of the year, that 59-yarder, you saw him turn the corner uh, and then have some fun with the TV camera after the game. It was good to see that personality come out. As a lot of you guys know that watched the KM Squared show with Kenny and Kendall on Dog Nation uh, earlier this year, you knew Kenny had that personality. So it was nice to, to see some of that after the game. Of course, Zamir White uh, has run really hard and shown he can get vertical. So the Georgia backfield looks pretty solid. Uh, but those injuries, Christopher Smith injury is the one uh, that I think is is really, really key. And it's going to be important to see what happens there. Uh, you know, I didn't get my stock report done this morning. I do that every Monday morning. But I'll tell you what, today I've just been chasing. You know, the coaches had a teleconference Sunday. And I did a story off of the teleconference about Kirby talking about how, look, last year is last year. Put Alabama lost behind him. You know, he says that, but then someone pointed out that in his halftime speech against Florida, he brought up last year. So he'll bring up last year when he wants to bring up last year. He doesn't want to talk about the start of the week. We're not going to talk about the start of the week. But I absolutely think that there'll be some uh, vindication and validation for those 13 players. Do you realize this is pretty amazing? You know, when you hear that Georgia had nine guys selected in the NFL draft, you just assume they all started against Alabama last year. Well, that's wrong. Georgia actually returns eight starters from last year's Alabama game on offense and five starters on defense. So I do think that there's probably more carryover than Kirby would like to admit, uh, because I think that because those players have that experience against Alabama, they know they can play with Alabama. There's no Alabama mystique for Georgia, okay? In fact, Georgia feels like they should have beaten Alabama the last three times because they let it halftime. And I, I agree. I, I think they can and will beat Alabama. But my five players where my stock's going to be soaring, and I will do the stock report tomorrow. You're getting a sneak peek before I even write it. Number one, Brock Bowers. I, this, this guy, he just gets bigger, better, faster. Um, he, he's an All-American. He's a freshman All-American slam dunk. He might be the freshman of the year. He might just be the, and, and, and that's a big award. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence won that award. Uh, Kenny Gainwell won that award. Last year, Will Anderson won that award. Uh, I could see Brock Bowers being the freshman of the year in the country. Forget the Mackey. Uh, so Brock, three catches, 100 yards, two touchdowns. Stetson Bennett, stock soaring. I thought that was Stetson's best game by far. He looked comfortable back there. Uh, 14 at 20, 255 yards, four touchdowns. Saw Stet scramble a couple times for first downs. Um, you know, made some nice throws. You know, the touch pass to Jermaine Burton was beautiful. The confidence level was amazing. The comfort level. And now it's going to be up to Stetson and Georgia to bring that comfort level onto the field against Alabama. Now, I, you know, Georgia Tech didn't offer much resistance, if we're being honest. Charleston Southern put up a better fight. They did. They did. Charleston Southern was 7-7 in the second half. I mean, Georgia Tech, you know, I, I don't know what to say. Um, I, I guess I won't say much more about them because I don't want to – I know some Georgia fans get upset when I say that it's kind of a – it is what it is. Uh, Lad McConkie, another guy whose stock is sore. I really like the way Lad turned on the Jets on his touchdown catch. Uh, we saw Lad step in for Kiaris Jackson. Personally, I think Ladd is better on the punt return anyway. Um, I asked Kirby about it earlier, and, and he stubbornly said, Karras is my guy. You know, Karras isn't going to lose his position to injury. Take that where you want it. Um, but I like McConkie better. I, I just I, – McConkie looks better catching the ball to me. He looks smoother. And I think he's a better open field runner than Karras Jackson. And Karras is a tough kid. He's a veteran. I like him on third downs, on slants. Uh, I know he's a leader. He's a community figure. I think he's a special teams guy. I think he's going to make the NFL as a special teams guy. Um, but I think Lad McConkie is a rising star. Um, he's George's Hunter Renfro and, and, and maybe then some. I can't say enough about Lad McConkie. Real high on Lad McConkie. Kenny McIntosh stock soaring. You know, Kenny only touched the ball twice. On He only got two carries. He, not, he, he doesn't get a lot of carries back there. Um, but when he gets them, he makes the most of them uh, when he has some blocking. And you saw him take a, a, just a little bit of daylight and turn it into a fit. Kenny McIntosh is a rising star. And next year, 
that backfield will be better with McIntosh and Milton getting the majority of the reps than four guys splitting it. I, I just, the four guy rotation just doesn't, it doesn't work as well. Running backs don't get into a rhythm. They just don't. And you can look and see that in the NFL. And I know it's convenient for Kirby to say that, you know, everybody stays fresh, but in practice, I think one of the reasons why you haven't seen more big long runs is because players don't, they can't really get into a rhythm. And uh, so I think that's one thing to look forward to next year is maybe a two or a three man rotation instead of this four man rotation, which is just, it's just too many. And I don't think it works. I think George is cheating themselves there. Um, but when you have those kind of players, you got to play them or they leave, right? The transfer portal's out there. Uh, so uh, Kenny, Nicobe Dean is my other stock soaring. Nicobe wasn't in there a lot, liberal substitute, but six tackles, three QB hurries. You know, I've heard Jim Nagy, the director for the Senior Bowl, feels like Nicobe was more of a bona fide Heisman candidate than Jordan um, because of his statistics and because he's in there more snaps. Uh, but I do think Jordan, because of his personality, um, you know, just because of his his size, the importance of his position. But the problem is going to be that not enough people are going to recognize what Jordan does. Uh, they, they, it's just hard to, well, he ties up two blockers so others can make plays. He only plays half the snaps on defense. That's just not going to, that's not going to sell for some voters. Now, some voters, it will. And I think that Jordan is going to get some Heisman consideration. I think there's a chance he could go to New York as a fi- one of the five finalists, particularly if Georgia beats Alabama, as I expect him to, uh, when you're on the championship team, it certainly helps your cause. But I think Will Anderson uh, from Alabama is a, is a serious candidate, another serious defensive candidate. I think Alabama's Bryce Young right now. I would handicap him as the leader, um, you know, based on that incredible 12 play 97 yard drive, uh, really turned it up a notch. Uh, plays for a team that's 11 and one in the top four. Uh, Kenneth Walker, the running back from Michigan State, second in the nation rushing. Uh, I don't think Kenneth will win it. He, you know, they lost to Ohio State. Um, and Michigan State just doesn't have the pop. They just don't have the pop, right? They've got pop gun publicity up there. Um, it, it's hard to get any attention when you're a Spartan. And I just don't think Walker had that Heisman moment. Uh, maybe Matt Corral makes it as a finalist. You know, uh, Ole Miss finishes top 10. Uh, he's had some prolific performances, uh, rushing for, what, almost 200 yards. Uh, what game was that? Tennessee. Um, just some incredible performances from Matt Corral. Um, those would be, to me, the five leading candidates right now. I, I know some people talked about the Ohio State or the Oklahoma quarterbacks, but, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll look at the whole list. I got my electronic ballot today. Um, I'm, I'm not getting too far into it. I'm not getting ahead of myself. You know, what I'll do is I'll, I'll cover the SEC championship game Saturday. Uh, we'll blow out the coverage on Dog Nation. Um, you'll see me on Fine Bomb Friday afternoon. On the SEC network, I'll be on again. I was on last Friday from Auburn. Uh, called out Nick Saban. And, um, you know, I just didn't like Nick Saban saying that, you know, when he first got to Alabama, they were happy just to win a game. I thought that seemed presumptuous to me. And uh, I, I wouldn't want any coach to say, I don't think Kirby would ever say that about Georgia. Um, I, I just don't like it when coaches are presumptuous. Now, in hindsight, after watching the Alabama-Auburn game, and after hearing Saban talk about his halftime message to his players, I think I understand it better. I still don't like what he said about the fans. You know, I, I don't think you should ever go after the fans if you're a coach, especially in a, in a fan base like Alabama or Georgia or Auburn or Florida. Look, these are championship programs that have been good for decades. And the program is bigger than the coach. And, you know, that's, you know, Kirby, Kirby knows that because Kirby's a Georgia Bulldog, right? Uh, but Saban, because he was kind of a mercenary and he went there for a King's ransom, you know, I, I think he's got to give the Alabama people credit because they're the ones that gave him all that money. And they're the ones that built those facilities. You know, one thing Kirby does is he's always thanking the Georgia fans. Think about it. I can't remember ever hearing Kirby Smart complain about the Georgia crowd or the Georgia fans ever. Now, he complained about the media because, you know, for whatever reason, he, he prefers that adversarial relationship. I don't understand that because I think the Georgia media is pretty good to Kirby Smart. I think there's a lot of respect for Kirby Smart, um, you know, but that's kind of the way Saban was. So 
you know, maybe that's something that, you know, in time Kirby will change. Maybe once he wins this national championship, he'll be a little bit more relaxed. Um, um, that would be good because he's a really entertaining and sharp guy. But getting back to the Saban thing, you know, I think that I think that, you know, maybe I was a little hard on him. But at the same time, I, I don't like to hear coaches complain about fans. I don't like coaches that, you know, be presumptuous. Um, you know, I think that being an SEC coach is a gift and an honor. Um, it's 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 a position for a dignitary, for an ambassador. And, and I think for the most part, Nick Saban has done a great, especially lately. I love listening to his motivational uh, speeches, his, his psychology. Um, I, I've just got great respect. And, and I had more respect for him after the Alabama-Auburn game. You know, the way he handled and managed this young team, I understand it. I do understand it. I don't think you need to go off on the fans, but I do understand where he's coming from, trying to alleviate some of the pressure off these younger guys. They just can't handle the pressure. George is built different. Georgia's got a veteran team with leadership. Georgia, this Georgia team is built for the pressure. They've been under the pressure their whole career. And, it, you know, you just, you got to manage different teams different ways. So those were some of my thoughts. Uh, those were some of my thoughts on that. We wanted to look at a couple of key statistics here. So Alabama averaged 42 points a game. Georgia averaged 40 points per game. Um, you know, somewhat comparable, but um, I think Alabama played a little tougher schedule than, than Georgia did. Um, here's a pretty key stat is that Alabama uh, gave up 36 sacks, 36. Georgia only gave up eight. That's huge because one of the biggest keys to this game for both teams is going to be staying ahead of the sticks down in distance because Alabama's got a front seven that can get after you too. Alabama has 43 sacks. Georgia only has 41. And Georgia's played teams that are in a heavy catch-up mode. So they've been in a – whereas Alabama's played closer games, and that's harder to get sacks in closer games and blowouts. Uh, the Georgia run defense, we know this. They've led the nation the last two years. They currently rank number three. Here's one to keep an eye out for. Alabama ranks number four. Okay, Alabama ranks number four. So is there the potential for Alabama to take away the Georgia running game? I don't know. I'm 50-50 on that. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost like – and I know you all do the same thing – when you play these games out in your mind, you play it out a million different ways. Most of the ways that I play it out, Georgia wins. Okay, there's a couple blowout scenarios. Most scenarios, Georgia wins by a touchdown, 10 points. You know, but there's some scenarios for last second. There's some scenarios for an upset. Not many, but it could happen. And it starts with Alabama stopping the Georgia run game. That's going to be the biggest key in the game is how well Georgia can run the football. That's everything. You may have noticed David Hale does a great job for ESPN. I really like his articles. Um, he did an analytical piece on how you beat Georgia, but the, the long and short of it was that teams that are better defensively have a better chance of beating Georgia than teams that are really good offensively, right? And he's got some metrics behind that. But here's a point to consider. The three best Georgia, the three best defenses that Georgia has faced statistically, this is crazy. Clemson, Florida, and South Carolina. JT Daniels was the quarterback against Clemson and South Carolina. Stetson was the quarterback against Florida. That was probably his worst game. I think he was 10 of 20 with two interceptions or something like that, maybe 11 of 20, two interceptions. And that was a close game until that two-minute burst. So food for thought there, um, food for thought, things to think about. Uh, I want to take a look now and, and see if you all uh, – uh, if there's any questions for me, I know we're not doing this on the uh, typical stream list. I don't think we are. Um, let me take a look here and see what we've got. And we're going to go to uh, Michael Casagrande in here just a, just a minute. Uh, we're going to have uh, Michael Casagrande on it. Like I said, I taped an interview with him earlier today um, because I wasn't able to get him live. Everybody's schedule is just right now is just so crazy that it's hard to get people live. Uh, at, at eight o'clock at night. Um, so uh, we're, but we're definitely going to talk to Michael here in a little bit. Um, but I want to see if, if y'all have any questions here. I'm trying to call up the, uh, the live Facebook feed here. Uh, I have to forgive me for uh, trying to find that here. A little different programming tonight. Oh, here we go. So someone's saying uh, Notre Dame goes after Luke Fickle. That's interesting because I do think that, uh, 
if Notre Dame were to have an opening, I do think Fickle, I think the two jobs that he would take would be Notre Dame and Ohio State. Um, Jeffrey wants to talk about officiating in 2017. Look, we, we all remember that there were some calls that went against Georgia in that game. But at the end of the day, man, you got to execute. Um, you know, it, it, it is what it is, right? And that's what makes it painful is that Georgia knows that it's had Alabama beat twice at least, should have won in 2018 in the SEC championship game. But but in a way, you know, the fact that Georgia's been that close, I think really resonates with the current players and I think gives them confidence. Um, so I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, what else we got for me? Uh, what other questions do you have for me? How long does Saban stay at Alabama after Kirby starts beating men on the field and recruiting? That's a good question, Christopher White. You know, Steve Spurrier said he thought he'd go another 10 years. I don't. I felt like Coach Saban um, at 70, I, I, I think it's starting to take a toll on him a little bit. Um, I'm not in any hurry for Nick Saban to leave. I like Nick Saban. Um, I think he's I think he's a fun figure. I think he's a guy that you, you know, if you want to fill your championship, you, you want to beat Nick Saban to be the best. You got to be the best. And it's kind of like Dale Earnhardt back in the NASCAR days. And I'm probably going to, you know, a lot of you probably don't even remember who the intimidator was depending on your age. But, you know, when that black number three car was out there, beating Earnhardt was part of what made Jeff Gordon a great champion or part of what made Dale Jarrett's championship special or anybody or Terry Labonte. Um, it just wasn't the same after Earnhardt. And I feel like Nick Saban has that intimidator presence. Um, people, yeah, my producer is saying Mark, poor Mark Martin. Mark Martin got his, his butt beat by Dale Earnhardt so many times on the track. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, and I heard Sarah Rich, you know, yeah, he was exhausted. I think everybody was exhausted. I was exhausted at Jordan Hare. Uh, what a knockdown, drag out game that, what, what a fantastic game. I was so glad. Uh, to, to see a game like that, you know, Hey, I haven't seen a game like that since George B Clemson because George is blowing everybody out. Right. Uh, I see Jeff Duran talking about misdirection and play action, you know, earlier this year, um, you know, and listen, I, I get it. I, I, I don't have thin skin. I have thick skin, but I think it's funny when other media people uh, try to call people out for asking questions. And Georgia had played Missouri. I don't know if you guys remember this. Missouri came in the game like ranked last in the country against the run. And Georgia's run game really struggled. They had to get creative and run sweeps with receivers. And they ran a lot of power. And they didn't run uh, any misdirection uh, or really attack the perimeter. So on the teleconference, you know, I asked Kirby Smart in a very gentle way, do you, do you guys run counters? I mean, that was a nice way of asking, like, why didn't you run one? And it was amazing. There was a guy from a Clemson rival site was like, oh, look at this guy asking this question. I'm like, first of all, who are you? And number two, I asked that question relative to the Missouri game. Of course, I know they run counters. But my comment to Kirby was opening the door for him to comment. I mean, a lot of times when reporters ask questions, we already know the answers. It's really about trying to invoke the answer because that's the quote. And you're going to write it and you need the coach to say it. So you ask the question that's going to draw the answer. And with Kirby, you know, you've got to ask a lot of open-ended questions. You know, you're not going to pin him down with a question. There's, there's a certain psychology involved here and a certain comfort level that coaches have answering questions. But boy, we're in an era right now, you know, where everybody wants to pull the cell phone out uh, for 20 seconds and everybody wants to, you know, throw everybody else under the bus. And man, I feel sorry for people like that. Um, it's crazy. If you looked on my Twitter timeline lately, go to at Mike Griffith 32. It's amazing. You'll be entertained by some of the things you read. I wake up and, you know, in the morning and I'll look at my Twitter and I'll say, my goodness, who is this person and what's wrong in their life? Uh, where is this anger coming from? You know, this is a week right now that we should all really just be thankful and celebrating for Georgia football. The fact that the Bulldogs have gotten to this point and they're on the brink of winning the SEC championship and the national championship. I mean, this is a time when everybody uh, should should feel good. And, and Brand, Braden's talking about uh, Stetson throwing off his back foot a little bit like Fromm. Listen, first of all, Jake Fromm was a good quarterback. And I know he's got his haters out there, 
But Jake was really accurate, and he has the lowest interception ratio of any Georgia quarterback in history. When it was time to go two-minute, Jake did it. Um, you know, you didn't see Jake Fromm get sacked. You didn't see Jake Fromm make stupid plays. And, and you know, the disrespect for Jake is just – it's just ridiculous, okay? And, and Stetson has gotten better and better and better. And I have been critical at times – I have been – critical at times. I have said that there's not another SEC team that would build an offense around Stetson. I mean, my goodness, Kirby Smart picked five quarterbacks ahead of him, right? I mean, he had Jake ahead of him. He had Easton ahead of him. He had, you know, Fromm ahead of him. He he started Dwan Mathis ahead of him. He had Jamie Newman ahead of him. You know, so it, it, there's no insult to saying that, but it makes the story all that much better. The fact that Stetson stuck it out, stuck it out, stuck it out, and no, he doesn't have the, the greatest physical traits. And people can throw these silly metrics out there, but he's not going to play in the NFL. They can try and defend their stances with stupid numbers, but your eyes tell the story. But that doesn't take away from Stetson Bennett. It makes the story better. The fact that a guy can get this much done and maximize his potential and stick it out and be the quarterback of the number one team in the country that's a great story. That's a great story. So don't try to play revisionist history. Don't try to pretend like he was always the because Kirby Smart told you he wasn't the best. Kirby said Carson Beck was ahead of him. Kirby started Dwan ahead of him. Kirby had Newman ahead. Look, and he's at practice every day. The story is great because Stetson stuck it out and he's gotten better and better and better. Now, I don't know what happened Saturday. I know JT Daniels is ready. I know they're both practicing hard. I know they're supporting one another. I know that fans are going to discuss it because it's the quarterback position. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You can like one and like the other. You can root for Stetson and JT. You don't have to pick one or the other. You don't have to attack the other guy. You don't have to talk bad about Stetson's this and bad about JT's that. It's okay. They've got their strength. They've got their weakness. We're going to see what happens. It's going to play out. Just enjoy it. Don't let it suck the life out of you. Don't get consumed with it. Don't get bitter. Don't get divided. Let it play out. You've got two quarterbacks that both are capable of beating Alabama. Let's see what the game plan dictates. Kirby and Munkin will have a plan A and a plan B. And that is a luxury. So instead of being bitter and angry about it, everybody just chill out, relax, let it happen. Georgia, you, you couldn't ask for a better scenario right now. Really, you couldn't. You just got George Pickens back. Jamari might be back. But Broderick Jones is playing so doggone good at left tackle, right, that it's not a must thing. Karras is a little banged up. But Lad McConkey is just taken off like a Lear jet. He's been amazing. Brock Bowers has been an unbelievable impact player. It probably to a greater degree than George Pickens was his freshman year. Chew on that one. That's unbelievable. You've got a tremendous front seven. The only thing that you should hold your breath about a little bit is the secondary and Christopher Smith, in my opinion. And how long uh, can Bryce Young scramble and buy time? He's amazing. The kid's a magician, right? George is going to get to him. You know, they're going to put him on the turf. I don't know how often. I don't know how hard, but that's going to be key, too. I said at the beginning of the year that I didn't think Bryce Young could make it to the finish line, and he made it to the finish line, right? I've bet against the little guys, and I've been wrong, right? And, and Stetson keeps getting better. No, he doesn't have a dynamic arm or an NFL arm, but it's good enough, and it's gotten better every single week, and he's coming off his best game of the season, and he's confident, and you cannot help but root for Stetson Bennett. You just can't. He's a great guy. He's a good person. It's a great story. And I think everyone should feel good about that. Regardless of whether you like JT or not, you got to feel good about the Stetson Bennett story. It's a must if you're a Georgia fan. You must. Great, great story. So I'm looking forward to the game. I got to get to the Michael uh, uh, Michael Casagrande interview. You're really going to enjoy this. Michael is super duper smart, informed on Alabama. You're going to you're going to know everything you need to know about Alabama when you hear this interview that I did with Michael Casagrande. Uh, I'm going to sign off from the live portion right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll be back on the show this week. I'm sure I'll be doing something with Brandon or Jeff. And then Friday, I'll be on Fine Bomb at some point uh, on state. I'm not sure when. 
Um, I'll, I'll put something up on Twitter on that. And of course, we're going to have great game coverage, um, you know, and uh, I'll tell you, this is this has just been an unbelievable year. I just I'm so blessed to cover a 12 and 0 team is a beat guy. You hope for seasons like this. I had an 11 and 0 Auburn in 93. I had a 13 and 0 Tennessee in 98. Uh, I had a Rose Bowl Michigan State team that had one loss, uh, which for Michigan State is like an undefeated season. But this has been an unbelievable year. And, and doing the show on Monday night and interacting with you guys and the comments, the fun, uh, the constructive criticism, um, always appreciated. I read it. I go back and look at all your messages. Um, you know, weigh in. Give me your concepts. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32. I appreciate that. And, and let's right now. Let's give Ingles that shout out, right? Because Ingles has been there for sponsoring this program, uh, making this opportunity possible for all of us. So let's take a moment to recognize Ingles and we come back. The Michael Casagrande interview. Everything you want to know about the Crimson Tide. Everybody have a great week. It's in our hearts to feel for real. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds. Good days and some bad But we stand together For worse and for better We'll always have your back With open arms Heart to heart Hand in hand Community Strong Well hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beach show and very pleased tonight to bring Michael Casagrande, he's the lead writer for the Alabama Crimson Tide for AL.com. Michael, thanks for joining me tonight. Great. It's great to have, uh, great to be here. Great to talk college football. Yeah, you're, you're with me. We've had a long weekend, man. We were at the Iron Bowl Saturday night. And <clears throat> let me start right there because a lot of people are, are kind of jumping on that, going, wow, how good can Alabama be if it's a three loss or an Auburn team that had lost three in a row and kept it close? And Kirby Smart today said, hey, I've never taken anything out of that game just because of the nature of that rivalry. How much do you take out of that game and how much can we attribute it to a fired up Auburn and a tough place to play? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of ways to look at it. You can, you know, there's no singular factor. You can't just say, oh, a six, you know, a six win team. They just didn't get up for it. It didn't seem like there was any lack of motivation for Alabama. It didn't seem like they were over overlooking Auburn. It seemed like there was a the high level of energy on, on both sides of the ball from the very beginning, you know, almost a scrap after the first or second punt of the game. So it wasn't that they were uh, thinking about Georgia too much, but it was just, it's just kind of the nature of this Alabama team is a little bit different from, some of the, the the previous ones where they, they just they tend to live more dangerously. Um, they, you know, where Georgia this year is kind of like what Alabama was last year, where they weren't really um, challenged as many times. Um, they didn't trail in a game after the Georgia second half uh, for the rest of the season. So it's a kind of a team where this year they've they've won three straight games, three straight SEC games um, by single by, uh, you know, a single a one score game, Tennessee before that had them, you know, it was a seven point game in the fourth quarter. So it's just kind of the nature of this team. They're, they don't, maybe don't have that put away uh, factor. Um, and, you know, I don't know if this is a game going up against Georgia, if they're going to have a chance to put them away early. Uh, so this would be more of a game where they're hoping to play uh, a game that they, you know, one like they just played or, you know, that style at least. You know, that was brought up that Georgia's kind of coasted through the last two games. They've played uh, Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech, whereas Alabama's been, you know, knock, playing these knockdown dragouts. Do you think that's a big disadvantage for Alabama? And what have you noticed in past years when the Crimson Tide has played Auburn at the end of the year? Has there been a, a, any hangover or uh, physical effects into the SEC championship game? Yeah, no, it's a good question. It's something that you could tell Kirby uh, was talking about yesterday when he was getting a, a number of questions about, you know, not playing in close games. And he kind of was looking at it more that he didn't, they weren't as stressed. They didn't have to put as many miles in the tires in the sense that they, um, you know, they were able to take starters out in the fourth quarter and um, not have to play four quarters with everybody and, you know, have them get beat up into overtime. Um, so he, he sees that as an advantage and you can see there's definitely some some logic to that. Um, Alabama's, you know, every year they play, uh, you know, every year they played in the SEC championship game is preceded by uh, the Auburn, the Iron Bowl, except for last year. 
with the kind of wacky scheduling. Um, and they've, they've won every one of those SEC championship games, except for uh, Florida in 2008. So um, whether or not, you know, some of those years, the, the East opponents weren't as strong. You had some Missouri's, there were a couple uh, Florida teams that were just not really up to that standard. Um, nowhere near what, what Georgia is going to bring this Saturday. So uh, it's kind of tough to compare some of those games and what they're going to see compared to what they saw then. Yeah. You know, I thought it was interesting last week when, you know, Nick famous now, Nick Saban famously now, you know, kind of chided the fans a little bit for the, the extra high expectations. I think that has to do with the proliferation of sports gambling. I think the betting line has probably become more prominent, but also after listening to coach Saban after the game Saturday night, when he said his halftime message was, to have fun and don't worry about the result. Michael, it seems like this is a younger team that maybe Saban is kind of changing his management style a little bit. And it looked like they responded. Is it, is it fair to say, and, and is that a fair assumption to make or a fair observation? And what would you say about the way this Alabama team has grown this season after losing, you know, 10 uh, NFL draft picks, six in the first round? Yeah, those are all good points. And yeah, I think, I think we'll learn as about as definitively as you can on Saturday how much this team has grown uh, from uh, it's it's been a wild ride this season in terms of uh, the way t- this team's prepared for games, the way they've they've come out in games. Um, very different from last year um, with the veteran group, and Saban has pretty much said that that last year's group was about as um, almost he I think he even used the word easy to coach because they they were pretty self-governing they didn't allow distractions to bother him in a season that was nothing but distractions um where this year's team is younger um they've had issues with overlooking teams maybe not taking some teams as seriously as they should um Will Anderson calling out teammates uh, not by name but in general uh, after the AM loss uh even I think it was after the Florida near loss that he was calling them out at that point too about taking football seriously making it the most important thing and that's something that would have it's unfathomable when you think about last year's group um never would have been a question so i think this has been more of a challenge this season um for Saban to to get everybody on the same page all at the same time uh they've played maybe one game where you can consider it a four quarter full game effort and it was the game right after losing to Texas A&M at Mississippi State. So it's, uh, you know, in terms of his coaching style, yeah, I think he's he's recognized the fact that he can't be, you know, 2007, 2008, uh, Nick Saban, uh, the angry, you know, tyrant running around, um, you know, at least that's what the perception always was. So he's, he's kind of had to take a different style with this group. And, you know, it's worked for the most part up until now. Well, Michael, I noticed that, you know, Nick Saban had some comments last week about fans and high expectations and Alabama not winning by enough points. And I gathered maybe that had a little something to do with the proliferation of gambling spreads now and and people are more aware of the betting line. But also this being a very young Alabama team relative to last year, you know, they lost 10 picks to the NFL draft, six in the first round. So this is a really young team and it seems like Nick Saban is adjusting his delivery methods saying at halftime last Saturday, just play hard and don't worry about the results is, is that a fair evaluation and assessment? And do you think he's been effective uh, helping this young team grow? Do they seem a little bit more focused going into this game? Yeah. And I think it's something we're definitely going to find out Saturday, whether they're, you know, know, it's a kind of culmination of uh, a season full of, of lessons that they've had to learn some the hard way, um, some that they were able to get away with uh, at Florida, you could tell. And he said that the preparation wasn't what it was supposed to be going into a game like that. And it showed that Florida, you know, almost came away with a win. It was 31, 29 and kind of ran out of time more than um, getting beat by Alabama in the end. So in uh, Texas A&M, they said they just weren't prepared, right. Didn't have the right mindset for a team that, that was uh, clearly better than what their record showed and coming off two straight losses. So um, that won't be an issue. I don't think with Georgia, there won't be any overlooking 
of Georgia in this moment. Um, it's more of a matchup issue whether they can they have the the ability to hang with Georgia and uh, their defense. But um, with this team, it's just it's 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 taken some time to to learn those lessons. Uh, and Saban's definitely adjusted to how he has to coach a team like this, a younger team that's not as mature as the the 2020 group that seemed to almost uh, run itself from the locker room. And there really wasn't any, you know, he said that there were very few issues um, like the ones that they're facing this year. Michael, I believe I read in one of your AL.com notebooks about the spread. This is the first time that the Alabama Crimson Tide is an underdog, I believe. And was it 92 games? It was dating yep. back to 2015 when they played Georgia. Yep. Uh, I believe they were a one and a half or two and a half point underdog, wherever it wherever it settled there. This is a unique role for Alabama to play. Do, do you think Nick Saban plays that up? Does this kind of add a little bit to his house money, just play the game and have fun? Um, or do you think this is something that he, that he wouldn't even mention? Or do you think this is something that he would relish and, and that could work in Alabama's favor? You know, it's interesting because in the past, it would have been Scott Cochran who would have, uh, <laughs> as Alabama's longtime strength and conditioning coach, was the guy who was making the signs, uh, putting them around the the weight room, the, the locker room, motivating, you know, with quotes that some were real, some weren't. Some were maybe embellished uh, to to motivate a team because it's this is a team that you know a program that doesn't really deal with that kind of adversity very often in a sense that they they sometimes disrespect has to really be um, manufactured at times to, to people don't usually doubt Alabama football so uh, to to have an actual tangible doubting uh, yeah I think. I have to imagine um, the new Scott Cochran is uh, handling that and uh, won't let these guys forget um, that, that people aren't expecting them to win this game. Yeah, it is kind of unique to see. Uh, and Georgia, six-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, I think I read that Alabama this year had not been any less than a 14-point favorite themselves. So the Crimson Tide used to playing as a favorite. Unique role here. Uh, and one of the interesting aspects of the game, when you size this up, and, and I know you're like me, we, we don't have access to the, the coach's film room and, and, and we probably haven't had, you know, a hundred assistants to pour over the film. But when you look at three keys, if I were going to say, Michael, what are three things that would have to happen for Alabama to win this football game? What would your list look like off the top of your head? Well, they probably did start with getting a, a running back in the transfer portal that can play right away since they might be out a fourth running, you know, their top running back, Brian Robinson, seemed to tweak a hamstring, um, Saban caught it a muscle pull against Georgia, and they've already lost two backups and a five-star freshman who hasn't played all season. So they have a, a running back and a, a, a linebacker who are their, would be their two and three running back options behind Trey Sanders. Uh, so, and it's, and that's been a running game that's struggled, you know, it's been among the, probably the worst, you know, the least productive that I've covered in 11, 12 seasons covering Alabama. So that's even a good day. So um, that um, protecting Bryce Young, I mean, it's, 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 it's a matchup that is pretty tough for Alabama. When you look at the, what Georgia brings in the defensive front, their ability to get into the backfield to affect the quarterback and an Alabama offensive line that is among the worst in the nation in allowing sacks and allowing tackles in the backfield. So it's, it's a, you know, that's it's about as bad as it gets. And Auburn chewed them up, you know, seven sacks uh, in the iron bowl and they're not nearly as proficient or as, you know, dominant as, as Georgia's front. So, you know, Alabama's got a bunch of high-end, you know, top recruits coming in the offensive linemen, but this group has been, you know, taking heat all season and, and rightfully so. 36 sacks allowed, you're right. It ranks 12th out of 14 teams in the SEC. And certainly Bryce Young has been a great playmaker, but it, it does appear that uh, the sophomore Heisman Trophy candidate will be under the, the scramble drill much of the night. What about when we flip it around? You've given me two offensive keys. What about for this defense from what you've seen Alabama proficient at versus what you've seen from the Georgia offense with Stetson Bennett? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because with Georgia, it's probably one of the teams I've seen the least uh, play just with the 
the way times have worked out with games. And so I've seen, you know, talking about seeing coaches film, I haven't seen much ESPN film really of, of Georgia, but you know that uh, it, with, with Alabama, it really kind of starts so much of it is centered around what Will Anderson can do and his ability, not only to, to get to a quarterback, to get in the backfield, but just the, the resources that are dedicated to stopping him can sometimes free up others. Um, you know, Dallas Turner is a true freshman uh, outside linebacker who's kind of emerged in recent weeks. Uh, he's the third guy to start there. Uh, Chris Allen, Christopher Allen was the senior leader uh, who broke his leg in the first game of the season, uh, who was opposite Will Anderson, and they've had to mix and match guys on the other end. But Dallas Turner's really five-star out of uh, Fort Lauderdale's big motor, fast guy. Uh, we come on in recent weeks, I think four sacks in the last three games. Um, so, you know, if, if guys key on Will Anderson, he's been a guy who's been able to fill in there. Um, Henry Teoto, uh, middle linebackers, been able to find some gaps. Um, so yeah, pressuring the, the passer has definitely um, been a key to them because some of, they've had some issues on the back end in the secondary, giving up some bigger plays. I'm going to ask you about a couple guys and then and then get your special teams breakdown. Williams and Mechie, to me, uh, obviously some really gifted receivers. Are they in the same class with Waddle and Smith, one? And two, how would you characterize the Alabama special teams? Kirby Smart said today that's an area where he doesn't feel George has been elite. Uh, the first one, the receivers, I don't know if um, they're on that same level. I think they're different. Like, Jamison Williams is a guy – who's got the speed of a, of rugs of a waddle. He's one of the faster guys they've had, and he's been their, their downfield threat that's been able to stretch defenses and um, coming from Ohio state, he was definitely, it's hard to imagine. And I guess people got to see what their offense would have been like without him after he got ejected for targeting in the iron bowl. But um, he, he kind of changes the dynamic of their ability where Mitchie is kind of more of an underneath guy, isn't the downfield threat. Um, so you have Mitchie kind of underneath, Williams going deep, um, defenses kind of have to pick, you know, who they're going to key on. Um, but it's not the most dynamic of passing game. That's not the way it was when you had Judy and Waddle and Ruggs and Smith. I mean, it was generational type offenses that, you know, you really had to pick your poison on who you were going to key in on. Um, so, you know, it's not as deep where there, you know, there are two of those guys and there's a pretty decent drop off between those two and, you know, three and four um, special teams. I mean, Jamison Williams has been uh, when he's got a chance to return kickoffs teams have been kicking away from him, but he's returned turn two in a game for a touchdown uh, 40 something yards on other plays. He's just, he's track fast. He's, he's quick. He's got, he's going to pick his lane. He's not going to really dance around. He's going to, He's going to run straight as fast as he can. If he picks the right way, it's going to be hard to stop him. But people have been able to kick it away from him, keep him from returning it. Not much threat in the punt return game. Um, punter averaging in, you know, 37-38, one of the three or four lowest average punting in, in the nation. So not much there in terms of field position. Will Riker is a kicker. Didn't miss a single kick all season last year. Um, extra point or field goal. Missed a few this year, um, but he's pretty consistent. There's not where the Alabama, you know, the big Achilles heel for years had always been the kicking game, but there's probably a lot more. There's a lot more confidence in what he's able to do if it comes down to a big kick as opposed to what they had been in, in you know, the last decade plus. Michael Casagrande, extremely detailed report on Alabama. I guess I would reach out now and, you know, part of your profession is asking questions and what are some things you want to see or want to know about George as, as you sit there and, and just as I do, we play this game, different mm -hmm. variations of it through in our mind. What are some of the X factors that you see with George? And again, I realize you haven't seen a lot of Georgia, but some of your curiosities about yeah. this Kirby smart team. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm curious about what makes them dangerous on offense. I know it's uh, you have Stetson Bennett, who's a, a quarterback who was, they saw Alabama saw him play a year ago, probably a different quarterback, a different, people around him, but what makes, what's, what makes George's offense dangerous? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what we're going to find out and, and how dangerous can they be? Because one thing I have noted uh, and we haven't talked a lot about is that the Alabama defense can, can stop the run. And, and they did quite well at that 
uh, against Auburn uh, the other night. It's what kept him in the game. Big third down stop there late to get the ball back and before Bryce's 12 play 97 yard. Might have been a Heisman moment, Michael. There's really this is kind of a watered down Heisman race this year. I, I don't know who my Heisman vote goes to. I'm going to need every minute of these games this weekend. But Alabama can stop the run and Georgia is built uh, based on their play action game. That's why they're going with Stetson Bennett. He brings mobility. He uh, pulled it down, ran for a couple first downs last week. He's probably, he's definitely not uh, a too as scary as a runner or even hurt scary, but he's effective and he's efficient and he does it often enough. Um, as far as the passing game, most all of its play action shot plays. You don't see a lot of volume there. High efficiency numbers when you look at the average yards per completion. And yet when you look at the completion percentage, it's on the lower end. So they pick their spots. They stay ahead of the chains. And my question is going to be, uh, can Alabama stop the run and, and force Stetson Bennett into third and long situations? And that that's a Kirby Smart concern as well. So that to me is going to be paramount for Georgia, you know, the last time they played a defense that was in this league, I suppose, it would be Clemson. If, if you look at the three best defenses that Georgia played statistically, it's Clemson, Florida, and South Carolina. And JT Daniels was the quarterback for two of those three games. And Florida, they kind of struggled. It was three to zero with three minutes left in the first half before uh, Florida turnover at the 11 yard line led to the first score and, and then a, a pick six. So it, that's the curiosity is how good is this Alabama front seven? And I guess I would ask you that uh, because statistically they rank fourth in the nation against the run. And yet we've seen some teams put up numbers on the defense. Yeah. I mean, this, that's the thing about this team is every time you think you've figured out, you know, this is what they do well, this is what they don't do well it goes out the window, you know, they, <laughs> they, they stop Ole Miss, you know, Ole Miss had one of the top five running games in the country and they didn't, you know, they had by far their fewest rushing yards in that game, but then you go to you know, Florida two weeks before that and they had the highest average rush that Alabama's allowed in a game since 2014 season, Ezekiel Elliott in Ohio state in the sugar bowl. So, you know, they break offensive records one week against Arkansas Next week, they have 68 yards in the first half against Auburn with a very similar ranked defense. So it's sort of like whatever one, whatever is one week to the next week is the opposite. So it's, you know, that's, that's from a writer, you know, I'm not breaking down the film and able to diagnose everything, but just in general on the broad sweeping things, the storylines have been just all over the place this season. It's a team that has just survived and continued to win. And here they are. Back in the SEC championship, uh, Alabama looking to defend the SEC title, the college football playoff championship. I guess for my parting shot question, Michael, I would ask you about these college football playoffs. And, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios out there. And right about the time I think I figured it out, Ohio State gets beat by Michigan and, and now Oklahoma's eliminated. I guess I'm one of the Cincinnati softies. I saw Cincinnati play uh, Georgia really tight in the Peach Bowl. Both teams were missing players. Um, I've got a lot of respect for the Bearcats. They won at Notre Dame. I suppose I look at it and I say, if I play this out and chalk holds and Alabama loses to Georgia, which I, I don't think is a guarantee, by the way, but I do think there's a reason Georgia's favored. I'd say Georgia won. Uh, I would probably put uh, Michigan or Cincinnati two. And I've got Notre Dame sneaking in number four, a one loss Notre Dame ahead of an Oklahoma State. Uh, if, if Alabama were to win, I think Alabama jumps to number one. I think Michigan goes two. I think that hurts Cincinnati. I think Georgia goes three, Notre Dame four. What are your scenarios and what are your thoughts about the playoffs this year? Yeah, no, there's so many of those scenarios that you could play them all out. I think if there ever was a year for a group of five team to, to you know, let's, let's see, you know, you know, put them in, see what happens. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of burden to put on Cincinnati to be the representative and, and you know, things are clearly they're going to be an expansion of some sort of, you know, moving forward. So there'll be more of an opportunity for a team like that moving forward. But, um, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, it's, you know, it's an interesting debate not having a conference championship that, you know, to, you know, if if all these other teams were to just put it on ice right this weekend, you know, would they would they be in or out with the, you know, adding probably, you know, with the most difficult game of the season at the end? 
um, when Notre Dame gets the week off. It's it's kind of I can see both ends of that argument, um, and it's um, I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. You know, <laughs> not for me to decide. But um, you know, a close loss, Alabama, Georgia. You know, I guess it really depends on the the, the makeup of these games. Does Oklahoma State destroy? Do they you know come out and kill in that uh, the Big Twelve game, or is it a close game? You know, it's a lot of eye tests will be taken. Yeah, veteran journalist Michael Casagrande sounds like you've seen a lot this year that you hadn't seen before, and uh, anything can happen in Atlanta. Michael, I know this has been a crazy busy day, and I really appreciate you carving the time out to join us on our Ingles on the Beat show on Dog Nation. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in Atlanta and reading you this week on AL.com. And what is your Twitter handle so people can follow you? Sure, you can find me at by Casagrande, B-Y-C-A-S-A-G-R-A-N-D-E. Um, and everything is always on AL.com. Pretty easy to find the Crimson, Pie, Crimson Tide page on that, that website. So check it out. You guys do a great job. Thank you, Michael. Thank you.